Rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew chapter 13. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand nice and high and someone will come and give you a Bible. Anyone need a Bible? Bible, anyone? Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a drag net that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the, among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you show us this morning the treasures and riches, Lord, of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Is anyone else like me in a state of shock after looking at Scott's shirt up here? I mean, that's like the most radical thing I've seen Scott do in five years. Let's have a moment of silence so I can get over that. (laughs) Okay. I think I've gotten over it. We can go on. Matthew 13, verses... 47 through 52. We left off last week with verses 44 through 46, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. I just love those two parables. They're just a few verses, but they're such they're a springboard into what I want to talk about this morning. Verse 44, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. These are among a handful of verses in the Bible which, in my view, the genuine Christian life, the genuine Christian walk is summed up in just a few verses, you know, that there is so much talk out there about trying to define with perfect precision how a person is really saved by God, the 567 things that must be present in a person's life to, you know, so everyone knows that they are going to heaven. Volumes and volumes of books, commentaries, which would fill up great libraries on the subject. 
And really all anyone has to do is open the Bible and read a verse like this, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This again represents uh, the man or the woman who uh, has spent his whole life, be that 15 years or be it 55 years, chasing after every imaginable thing, trying to shed the buildup of guilt in his or her, her life, the, trying to wash that, just that inner dirtiness, that, that plaque that, gets, uh, that grows up on, around a, a human soul uh, that uh, grows up because of uh, sinning against God, that, that purposelessness in life. And, and this represents uh, the person who is, is presented with the gospel, his eyes open up, his mind is clear, his ears are unplugged. The chains fall off his soul. And with a shout of joy, he declares, this is it. This is it. I found it. It all makes sense now. This is it. You can have all those shallow dreams that the world offers. You can have them. You can have the, the drugs. You can have the money. You can have the sex outside of marriage. You can have the, uh, you know, all the, the emptiness that, that, that the world is. I found Jesus. This is it. Like finding a great treasure hidden in a field. Like finding a pearl of great price and going out and selling everything you have in order to get it. That sums it all up. It's in that one verse. That's the Christian walk. Now, lest there be any confusion about what he meant by the word treasure, what he meant by the pearl of great price, Jesus goes on into the next parable. And he clarifies in the most striking manner imaginable what exactly that treasure is, lest there be any doubt. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew ashore and they sat down and gathered the good into, into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, one of the reasons at Calvary Chapel, we read the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is so that we will never read the Bible out of context. You see, you could take a verse like verse 44, this man finding treasure hidden in the field and selling everything he has together. You could use it to support the wildly popular view today in America that treasure, like beauty, is in the eyes of the beholder. Treasure is whatever you behold it to be. Meaning each man or woman fills their own treasure chest with whatever their uh, heart treasures, and somehow God is there in the treasure chest uh, with the treasure you have chosen, 
And, and, you know, your treasure can be new age religion. It can be in a relationship. It can be in adventure. It can be in a job. It can be in the sex, booze, and drugs thing. It doesn't matter what your treasure or where you find it. The important thing is once you find it, you just sell everything you have and, and you go for it. You shoot for those dreams, that treasure. That sound like a crazy interpretation of verse 44? Well, as surely as my name is Steve Cole, I can assure you that many times that verse right there has been used to promote that very thing. But if you read on, there is no way you could possibly use it that way. That's why we always, 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 always read on. He's talking about a treasure which will be put into vessels, it says in verse 48, but the bad treasure is thrown away and the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from the just. There is a very specific kind of treasure that Jesus is talking about in verse 44, which the man found and hid and for the joy over it went out and sold all that he had and bought that field. You do a word search uh, in the New Testament of the word treasure and it will become very clear to you what, how Bible defines treasure. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 uh, defines it this way, and I paraphrase. It defines treasure as the unsurpassing power of the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. You know, we closed last week with what I think is a working definition of treasure, a working definition of the pearl of great price. It is, it's the cross and the resurrection wrapped up into one. That's what, that's what the pearl of great price is. That's what, tre- that's what the hidden treasure in this field in, in verse 44 is. The cross where Jesus Christ took on all the sin, all the muck, all the mire, all the failure of humanity, and paid a terrible price for it. Brothers and sisters, you will never be able to fully know the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for your sin. You will never fully understand the judgment, the wrath that he bore for your sin, your rebellion. You will never know the pain he experienced so that you could be reconciled to God. You want to talk about treasure? It's not some watered-down, shallow promise that the world offers on a billboard or on an infomercial on TV or on a website somewhere that just beams out messages, spam, so everyone will be sort of pulled into it. The cross is the treasure. You open the treasure chest, and the first thing you behold, you open the treasure chest, this Bible, and the first thing you behold is is the cross from the beginning as we're learning as we go through the Old Testament on Sunday night to the end. 
And, 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 and you take out that cross, the terrible, wonderful cross, and you take out the cross, and the next thing you behold is the resurrection. The resurrection, the final victory over death, the resurrection, the place where Jesus, now victorious over death, is able to pour out the power of God, the gifts of God on you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That is treasure. That's the pearl of great price. It's the cross and the resurrection that's all wrapped up into one. Now, many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. So he uses the parable of the dragnet to demonstrate to them that there was a very specific kind of treasure that he's referring to in the parable of the hidden treasure, a very distinct kind of pearl. It's a treasure and pearl that's not available in the world's treasure shops. There were basically two kinds of nets that were used by fishermen in Galilee. One was a casting net A single man could use it. They would take their net and find fish, and they would cast their net over uh, the fish and and haul it in right then and there. There's another kind of net that was very different, the drag net. We're not as familiar with that. A drag net is a huge net. I've read that they can be um, as much as a mile long. And on one side of the drag net, there are weights, And many men sometimes in at least two boats drag the net on the bottom of the sea. And the drag net picks up everything in its path. Notice in verse 47 it says, It gathered up some of every kind. Now, anyone here who has spent a lot of time in the ocean knows what that means, some of every kind. I spent almost every summer, really, of my life, but, but certainly growing up in, in my youth on the Cape, and we spent most of our time in the water, and most of the time in the water, we weren't swimming. We're doing stuff like, you know, that boys do. You dig clams, you go after blue crabs, you, like, explore everything, you know, just create mayhem in the water sort of thing, and... Um, we spent a lot of time in the mud, and anyone who's ever spent much time in the mud in the water on the New England coast knows that, like verse 47, there's some of every kind. I mean, we would run into the strangest, scariest, ugliest, weirdest creatures. And there was one thing we used to come across that strikes fear into every boy in, in the Cape, a toad runner what the name of it is, a toad runner. The toad runner has got to be the ugliest, scariest, weirdest, meanest creature on the face of the earth. Imagine a fish where half the fish is a mouth, like a jaw with fins. That's what this thing looks like, okay? It's like only like this big. 
And, 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 you know, half the fish is a mouth, and there's these, like, strange human-looking lips on it, right? Okay? And there's this ferocious sea of things from uh, one side to the other. Uh, a toad runner, it, it, it has warts all over it. It's covered with slime. It, it snorts like a pig. I mean, and, and, and it's just nasty. I actually did, I just did one Google search ugly fish, and it went to a website. I pulled it up, and there was a toad runner there. I, and I can, you can see it. Just do that, and it's the one on the, uh, you'll see on the, on the right there. And, and you know, it's just, these things are mean. I tell you, if I didn't know any better, I think they were demon-possessed. They, they lurk on the bottom of the sea. They're waiting, they're, they're, and they're just waiting to get a hold of your feet. And let me tell you, if a toad runner gets hold of your foot, you're going to the hospital, okay? I, I, I guarantee you. Well, in verse 47, it says they gathered up some of every kind, okay? There's some Galilean version of a toad runner in there, okay? And anyone who has grown up on the ocean knows that you drag a net on the ocean floor, you'll come up with all kinds of, of creatures. And Jesus is speaking to the, this parable to the fishermen. These were men of the sea. They know what it was like at the end of the day. When they gathered in the net, some of the stuff they pulled out, and it was fit only to be thrown away. You know, what good is a, throw, a, a toad runner, you know? Toss it on the beach. I'm sure there's some ecologist somewhere that says, oh, no, you can't throw those away. That'll upset the whole ecological system, you know? Well, you know, I, I challenge that. Toad runners, just throw them away. But whatever. But anyway, the, the, the fishermen, they were also well acquainted with the treasures of the sea. The, and, the, and they would put, it says, their, those fish into vessels, meaning these barrels that they would take to market and that were really uh, worth uh, a, a tremendous amount of, of money. Now, it's interesting, uh, as you read through this parable, though, as you go towards the end, verse 50, verse 50 it says, and, and they cast out those toad runners, those, those bad things. It says the angels, uh, they cast them into the furnace of fire. Not speaking of fish anymore here. Speaking of souls, human souls, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He's speaking to fishermen here, very well familiar with these uh, images, and so they could really well imagine, uh, you know, what's going on. There's a sorting out uh, of, of the good and the bad. And so, um, you know, people read this parable, and, 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 you know, unfortunately what happens most of the time is they gravitate towards verse 50 there in, in a way and, and take it more as a, as a warning. Now, I, I do believe that when Jesus speaks of hell, he often uses it as, warn, as a warning, but I don't believe that is the response that Jesus wants from his disciples here. As you see in verse 36, it says, that by this time, by the time he tells this parable, Jesus had sent the multitude away. He, he just has his, he's alone with his disciples here. He's not giving this to his disciples as a warning. He knows their uh, eternity uh, rests secure in the palm of his hand. I believe that Jesus, uh, what, what he wants from his disciples here and us, if we are born again believers in Jesus Christ, it, it's one of relief. It's one of joy and it's one of hope. I really believe that. Now, why do I say that? Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I 
myself, I, I just get overwhelmed with the evil in the world around me, just the, the wickedness. And sometimes it just seems like evil is taking over. And, and, and over time, you know, it, this can really wear you down. And, and you read the newspaper, and virtually everything that is reported around the world, it, you find there's been almost a complete loss of boundaries in moral conduct, a total disregard for human life. Murders get gorier and gorier. Sexual sin becomes... Uh, more and more lurid. Marriage is redefined. Good and evil is redefined. And, and more and more, you know, wicked, it's, wickedness, it's not punished by the law. It's protected by the law. And, and sometimes I just cry out, and I, and I cry out in my heart, I, why, Lord? How long, Lord? How long are you going to just let this go on unhindered. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 says of Lot living in Sodom, that he was distressed by the evil that was around him, that night and day his soul was tormented because of the lawlessness that abounded around him. How true that is of a man or woman, a boy or a girl, living for righteousness in the year 2005. You know, I usually, uh, almost every day, begin my devotion time with a psalm. I use it as a mirror to my soul. The Bible says that the Word of God is supposed to be a mirror to our soul, meaning that when we read the Word of God, we're supposed to ask ourselves, is this a reflection of my life? You know, if the answer is yes, we can rejoice. If the answer is no, that is not a bad thing going on. That's a good thing. That's what's supposed to happen when we open the Word of God and, and what God wants you to do. If the answer is no, uh, that's not a reflection of my life. It's just to ask God, you know, God, begin that work in my heart. I, that, my life is not a reflection of that. That's what goes on in, in devotion time. I use the Psalms as a mirror for my heart. The Psalms are a wonderful picture of how a godly man, David, interacted with God. David is described in the Bible as a man who was after God's own heart. The Psalms are an open book description of his heart as he was pursuing God. Listen to Psalm 74. This is a theme, by the way, throughout the Psalms. This is a righteous, godly man who... uh, who we are to imitate, Psalm 74. How long, God, will the enemy mock you? Will the foe revile your name forever, God? Why do you hold back your hand? Listen to Psalm 94. How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked triumph? They speak insolent things. They boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. You know, I don't know about you, but there are times when I I long for God to come now. 
and, and just root out all evil, to, to root out everything that offends. You know, God, it would be so great if tomorrow we could just wake up and every abortion clinic in the entire world was vanished. Now, I'm not talking about some wacko blowing up an abortion clinic. I'm talking about God supernaturally removing them and every other form of wickedness that offends. Well, according to the Bible, according to the parable that we're reading this morning, that time will come. And it's going to happen in a powerful and extraordinary way. Verse 49 speaks of angels that will come. There will come a moment in time when there will be a return of the direct intervention in human affairs of angels. Today their ministry is unseen, but as they were visible in ancient times, so a new era in the human history will be ushered in by an extraordinary and overwhelming visitation of angels. The parable of the dragnet. It's not a parable of doom. It's a parable of hope. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, or, or have you cried out in your heart, you know, why is there all this evil? It's not supposed to be like this. The world is not supposed to be like this. Well, that is correct. Th- that is an accurate statement. It was not created like this. And the Bible says it's not going to be like this in the end. Second Peter chapter 3 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And look at verse 43. It says, Then the righteousness will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. There will be a a time when that happens, that very thing, when the hope will be fulfilled, when we no longer are being pressed in on every side by, by wickedness. G. Campbell Morgan puts it like this as he's explaining this verse here where it says the angels will come and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. He puts it like this, and I paraphrase. He says, the world, the scarred, wounded, sorrow-stricken, afflicted world will be healed by a mercy that operates in judgment. This is a message of hope. We should respond to this actually with really encouragement, being encouraged. Now you ask, when is this going to happen? Well, 2,000 years ago, some people asked the Apostle Peter that because in his first letter, he, he told people, the day of the Lord is coming and it's coming soon. And so, uh, people began to mock and say, ha, ha, yeah, today is just like any other day. It's, it's been the same today as it was from the beginning of time. And uh, so they wrote to Peter and said, well, what's going on? I mean, you said the day of the Lord was coming. And Peter responded like this. He says, do not forget this thing 
dear friends, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You ought to be thankful that God didn't come a month before you became born again. Or you would have been one of those toad runners up on the beach. Jesus says that by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter, he says he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The last parable is one single verse. There's eight parables in this chapter. The last one's one single verse, and I must admit, before I prepared this message, I hadn't given this parable a whole lot of thought. And, and that is, was my loss. Starting in verse 51, Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? That word understand, by the way, in Greek means, Have you put together all these things? All these parables, they sort of, they're interrelated, and they're built on one another. And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he said to them, Here's the last parable. It says, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. What Jesus is saying here is Everyone who is instructed in the kingdom of heaven, and by the way, if you've been with us any portion of the last six weeks, uh, he's talking about you here because uh, you've been instructed in the kingdom of heaven. It says everyone who is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a scribe. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying in verse 52, therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking to the disciples who had just been instructed uh, just as uh, you have. A scribe was a man in the Old Testament who stood in the midst of the people and he read the Word of God and he taught people what it meant. And so it says, everyone who's instructed in the kingdom of heaven, and and by the way, remember what that kingdom of heaven means. Kingdom in the Greek means basilia. That means rule. All kingdom of heaven means is is the rule of heaven. It's that person who has exchanged uh, self-rule with God's rule, with Jesus' rule in their life. And so, uh, in the parable, uh, Jesus uh, describes here how uh, he, he says, everyone is in, who is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is a scribe, and like a householder, brings out of his treasures things new and old. Now, this is one of those few verses in the Bible where I think that the English translation doesn't come anywhere near to doing the original language justice. Now, that is very rare because the translations we have are really outstanding, but I think here that is the case. Now, in fairness to the translators, this word householder, I mean, who's ever heard of a householder? I mean, what's a householder? Well, uh, it's this Greek word. It's oikodespotase. 
It doesn't really have an English equivalent. Literally, it means house despot, which sounds like a bad thing, but it's not at all in this context. Actually, it's an incredibly good thing. In fact, some translations translate this word householder as good men, good men, which is also not a good translation really either because the Greek word here really carries with it a sense of power and a sense of authority and a sense of one who's in charge. And, you know, the closest description I could think of of this word householder is, is a household prince, a prince who's got complete authority over his uh, uh, house, but he rules the house with a heart of gold. He oversees his family, his, his servants, his, his cattle, his animals or whatever, with kindness, with magnanimity. Magnanimity, big word, but, but in, in this case, it's someone who just ravishes people with, with, with gifts, spiritual gifts and, and physical gifts. And the, and the verse says the householder brings out of his treasure, the phrase brings out in the Greek means to cast out, to pour out, to fling I think of the word ravish, to ravish his household with, with, with gift, with the uh, treasures new and old. So a literal translation would be something like this. Everyone who has been instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a prince who ravishes his household with treasure, things new and old. The idea is of a prince going into the storehouse of his wealth. There's certain things that are old. In other words, certain antiquities, things that have been in, in the house for generations that are very near and dear to his heart. He's giving out those things. He's not in the slightest way clinging to any of his things. And then there's new things which he's acquired recently with his wealth. And he's just unsparing with his giving. And it's an interesting, this word householder. In the New Testament, Jesus repeatedly uses the word householder to describe himself. And here he's describing us as the householders. And many of you know the parable of the wedding feast. That's the, the, the feast where you have this master and, and, and in Luke 14 he speaks to his servant, uh, servants and he's saying, go out in the streets and the lanes of the cities and, and bring in the poor, bring in the maimed, bring in the lame, the blind. Go into the highways and hedges and compel anyone you find. Tell them to come to my house that it may be filled. That is a householder. That's the householder in verse 52. And that is what you are if you have by faith accepted Jesus Christ into your life. I mean, the next time you feel sorry for yourself, think of this verse. I mean, you talk about self-esteem. This is biblical self-esteem. Talk about purpose. This is purpose. If you're a born-again Christian, the Bible says that we're born once when we come out of our mother's womb. We're born a second time when we receive the kingdom of God by asking Jesus Christ into our life. If you are that person, you are as a householder, a prince, a princess who brings out treasure, things new and old, and just like distributes it to everyone that you are around. Except the treasure, it's, it's not things worth tens of thousands of dollars that are hidden in your basement. The treasure are the words of the kingdom. 
the words that 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 man found when he found that treasure chest hidden in the field and in which he shouted with joy in his heart this is it i found it it's the only healing balm to a lost soul your friends your family your coworkers your neighbors what is the treasure it's god's love and it's god's wrath both of those things will be like a healing bomb to a person who is seeking Him. God's kindness and God's holiness. God's tender mercies. God's judgments. The compassion of God. The chastening of God. God's rod and staff. The kindness of God. The severity of God. The joy of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Heaven, hell, these are the treasures, old and new, that, that, that you take out and, and, and you bring healing to the, to the human soul, to a dying world. Or as G. Campbell Morgan put it, to a scarred, wounded, sorrow-stricken, afflicted, tormented world. That's what we're in. And that's what the healing palm of God's treasures are for. And Jesus says that you, are, you and I are as householders, princes, and have the privilege of showering that treasure on those around us. Again, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things treasures new and old and let me close with this you know what jesus is really also saying here is that the real storehouses of riches in this world the real dispenser of wealth it's not multinational corporations it's not fortune 500 companies it's not the lottery it's not the government it's you it's me it's the church You know, since Jesus spoke these words, kingdoms and governments have come and gone. World empires have risen and fallen. You know, I was a history major in college. I, I couldn't even tell you how many major, huge governments, how many financial strongholds have, have just come and gone over the last uh, 2,000 years. Not so the church. The storehouses of the world's wealth have come and gone, not so the storehouse of treasure, new and old, which is in the Word of God. You know, I think of the book of Acts, chapter 12. I, I taught on that about three or four years ago uh, at, uh, I think, the Bible study that was in our house. And, and there you will find in Acts 12 the, the story of King Herod. And it's not the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. It's a different King Herod. This one actually uh, beheaded the Apostle James. And, um, and there was a great persecution he inflicted on the, on the church. And uh, it, in the world's eyes, he was just a mighty king. I mean, you look at him, the people of the time, you, you look at him like the United States government. It's like this 
king, this government is just a stronghold. It's a, it's a fortress. It, it's just this mighty uh, tower. And, and, and it says in Acts uh, chapter 12, verse 2, it says that one day Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, he gave a, a, a speech, an oration, it says, to the people of Tyre and Sidon. And he, it says that when people saw him, apparently he was like in these silver robes and, and the sun was reflecting off of it. And um, when people saw him, they said, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And it says that at that point, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Why? It says because he didn't give glory to God. In other words, he didn't step out of the way and say, no, you're not looking at a God. It says the angel of the Lord, one of these very angels it talks about in, in the parable we're in this morning. It says well, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and then it gets really gross. It says at that point it was, he was eaten by worms and he died. Ugh. But I love the next verse. The next verse says, but the, the, next v- verse says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod was struck down and died. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And, and what, that's, that's, what that's saying is this, you know, kingdoms come and go. Governments come and go. The word of God, the kingdom of heaven, it just keeps on going. The treasure's new and old. It, it, that is the dispenser of wealth. The Bible says all the grandeur that the world boasts of is like the morning dew. By mid-morning, the sun just burns it away. That's the best and the most the world can offer. But the word of God, that treasure chest that the, that the man found, that uh, pearl of great price that the man found, and he went and he, and, and, and he sold everything that he had. That's the treasure that will go into the vessels at the end of the age where the angels will just gather them and, and, and usher them into heaven. You know, uh, the Bible says that uh, becoming born again, it's a very, very simple thing. And the reason, it, the reason it's so difficult for so many people is because it's so simple, because men and women insist on trying to get into heaven by their good works. The Bible says that's impossible. You'll never be good enough to get into heaven. The Bible says all men have fallen way short of the righteousness of God. There's only one way, there's only one path to heaven. And that is to, by faith, accept the tremendous price that Jesus Christ paid for you on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, shall have that, that treasure that's worth selling everything that you have if you've never done that before. I'd love to talk with you after the service and just so that you can, I can pray with you. You can receive that treasure. So please come up to me after the service if, if you've never done that. If you are uh, among the people who are householders in the faith, go out this week and, and distribute that treasure, things new and old. Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for that treasure chest, Lord, that you have filled. We thank you that you've led us to that place, Lord, where we just we took our, our treasure chest and, and you showed us what to do with it, Lord, just to dump it out. It's the treasure that moths eat and rust destroys, Lord. Thank you for filling our treasure chest with the word of, of life, with, with your son, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Father, we want to be fruitful. We want to be faithful householders, distributing treasure, Lord, to our families, our co-workers, our friends, treasures new and old, Lord. Heaven, hell, love, joy, peace. And Father, I just pray that you just give us just a, just a holy reverence and awe for that treasure, Lord. That we treasure it in our hearts. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, God bless you. If anyone needs prayer, please come up.